I really love like think like a salesperson or work with your sales teams to get you these ideas. And that's just going to make your content 10 times more effective. Plus, as a marketer, you'll give yourself a bigger seat at the table within your organization. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the GTM News Show. I have Pruna here today. Hey, Pruna. Hi, Taylor. So lovely to be here. Thanks for coming on the show. We're looking forward to our conversation. So I got uh, just recently uh, discovered Pruna. Um, Rand Fishkin from Spark Turo posted the other day that he was reading her new book um, and uh, said it was one of the most highly cited books or most cited books around content marketing. The book's called High Impact Content Marketing. So I wanted to have Pruna come on today. There it is. Um, I actually haven't got my copy yet, which I'm dying to read it. Um, and uh, but uh, we definitely a bunch we're going to get into today in regards to content marketing, what she's learned. She is um, uh, been a marketer for a while now and is currently the principal consultant of content solutions at LinkedIn. Um, and I know that experience, I'm sure, has influenced a lot of uh, writing the book. So let's just jump right in, Pruna. Share with me in the audience. Um, why now? Why did you decide to write the book now? And what was the motivation behind it? Well, Taylor, the timing is so perfect right now because in my work, I talk to marketers all the time. So many people are questioning their path forward, right? We're in this inflection point with AI. People are questioning, well, what's next? What's going to happen? It almost feels like sort of like the dot-com era all over again. Now we're in the AI era. <laughs> And actually, I got really fortunate because Kogan Page, my publisher, reached out to me at the perfect time because they'd seen some of my work both now uh, from LinkedIn of my previous role at Microsoft. And they said that, would you be open to writing a book about content marketing? I'm like, well, heck, yes, this is the perfect time. So that's how it came about. I'm like, I have all of these questions that I hear from marketers all over the world, whether B2B, B2C, whether small company, large global enterprise. The questions are remarkably very similar. So I said, let's come through and share what I've learned to drive really like high performing, high impact campaigns. I love it. Thanks for sharing and couldn't agree more. And we'll get into AI and your thoughts on that uh, as it relates to content today as well. And um, I'd love to hear your thoughts, if you wouldn't mind, to sharing a little bit about maybe some of those questions, those common questions you hear from folks. And then what were those answers? What were the the things you've learned, maybe some trends or some things that have always been around that, you know, uh, from, from other folks um, that we can learn from. Sure thing. Well, there are a lot of best practices in content marketing and things like, oh, you must understand your customer to know what to deliver. You must, uh, you know, use your content more. None of these are wrong. So I'm just going to preface it by saying none of these are wrong. So then why do we still hear so many marketers say that we're following all of the best practices? So why am I not consistently seeing these uh, high impact results that I'm aiming for? And the issue with that is that the content, that advice is not wrong. It's just too high level. It's so surface level. So I'll give you one example um, of what I've learned or what I do differently. So everyone says, yes, we've got to start by understanding our customer. That's not wrong, but you want to first start by understanding your own internal needs as a business, right? Ultimately, you work, 
you need revenue, you need some kind of income, you need something to grow, right? To survive in business. And so you need to start by understanding your internal goals and the priorities, like what's going to move the needle for you. So let's say you're hearing a lot of buzz from customers about offering A, but offering A isn't really going to move the needle that much for you, whereas offering B that you have, that's much more of a revenue generator, like some a, big, a small win there could yield even more than a big win in product in offering A. So then we're like, all right, well, let me, if I know that B is the place to go, then let me start by understanding what customers think about B and focusing much more heavily there. Otherwise, you're just going all over the map. And I'll throw in one more example. Uh, another thing people say is that, oh, we'll just you know, research our customers, see what they want, talk to them. But who are you talking to, right? You want to find the right subset. Any business has different sort of levels of customers, right? Every business or organization will have this like creme de la creme, like your upper stratum of the types of customers that you'd love more off. They either spend more or they share word of mouth more about you. So you want to try to research those kind of audiences so that way you can build for the types of people that you love to have more off. And so that's a little difference between best practice versus high impact content marketing. Love it, Bruna. Super helpful. Thank you. And I love yeah focusing on what are the business uh, objectives um, through your content and how are you driving those? And then also hearing about like the best customers targeting them and even maybe even like the personas in the company and, and figuring out who, what particular person. Cause I think a lot of content I see out there is pretty generic, right? It's just like it covers, it's talking to everyone. So it's talking to no one, number one, but even if it is like industry specific or even company specific, right? Like ABM account-based marketing mm-hmm. is really, uh, important in, in especially in enterprise B2B and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in that folks, you know, focus so much on, you know, just doing the, they're talking to the whole company the same way versus understanding that you have, you know, multiple different types of personas within the organization um, and whatnot. Any additional thoughts there on, and on targeting and, and how you structure your content to be really specific to your audience? Yes, for sure. And I love that you brought up that ABM example, because I can't tell you the amount of times I've talked to people. And this even happened when I worked in paid search. Uh, people would be like, we're building these incredible like audience lists. And, you know, we're taking all this advice and segmenting and doing the right targeting. And I'm like, OK, well, how are you tailoring your messages? Like, oh, mm-hmm. we're not doing that. I'm like, well, what is the point of having the different list? Like, it's so much work to do anyway. And maybe, you know, a minor difference here or there isn't isn't really enough to cut it, right? You want to think about, especially in B2B, you have so many different people. You have end users, influencers, decision makers involved in a purchase decision. You want to look at people by their sort of level of influence, by their type of job profile. Um by the kind of work they do. And sometimes it's minor changes that if you make, um, you'll see a big difference. So if you're targeting um, leaders versus individual contributors, all your content needs to be like, hey, get your team to succeed. If you want to build, you know, higher powered teams, do this. Whereas if you're speaking to individual contributors, it's their needs. You know, let me make you more effective in your role. You want to drive these leads. It's such small changes. 
but oftentimes the same content can be tweaked slightly to reach out to both audiences. So make sure putting in the work to get your list right, then go and understand mm -hmm. like who is it at the other end of mm -hmm. my ad? Because it's digital sort of makes us so removed. Um, it mm -hmm. makes us harder to almost interchange our marketer versus sort of mm -hmm. consumer hats. Um, when we don't realize we're just like marketer, I'm going to just do this because this is good. But you're like, no, there's a human at the other end, right? Even B2B, we are all humans, business buyers <laughs> too. Um, mm -hmm. And so see what's going to appeal to them, make their life a little easier, a little better, entertain, empower, educate, so on. Yeah, the reason why I laughed is I think we, uh, in B2B, we definitely forget uh, we forget the human side of it. And because, you know, so much of the decision making is very uh, logical base where I think B2C is more emotional. I mean, they're both logical and they're both emotional, but um, B2B is definitely more logic problem solving type of decision making. That being said, it's still human. And I think the biggest problem with any seller or market or anyone in a go to market function is we're usually not our buyer persona, right? We're usually not, um, I've never, you know, the folks that I'm marketing to or whatever, I'm, I've never been in their shoes, right? And so you have to work really hard to get in their shoes, try to understand where they're coming from. Uh, that way you can you can sell better, you can market better, create better content, etc. In our in our previous uh, kind of conversations and in, in, in leading up to this, um, you mentioned some really cool ideas around. I'm kind of changing tracks here a little bit, but I thought it was really interesting around just this the consistencies in like human behavior and looking at how um, maybe platforms have changed, you know, there's TikTok and there's all the, you know, the formats have changed, but how people learn and adult learning hasn't changed. I'd love for you to talk about adult learning more and, and maybe what you've learned through, you know, your research and whatnot around how do we create content that actually educates people um, towards a buying decision, but, you know, actually helps them along the way, right? Not just content that is like, you know, uh, direct sale, right? But it's actually educating people, um, helping people learn. Love to hear all your thoughts on that. Small talk. Yeah, topic. absolutely. And, <laughs> you know, it ties in everything because so often we say that B2B is only like logic and rational, but that's not true. Um, so many times, like even a lot of B2B, there's extra pressure too, because you're, and if I was just buying something for myself, impulse buy, I was unhappy with it. I'll just have to deal with my own like buyer regret. But now if I'm in charge of, you know, purchasing for for my organization. I'm like, darn, that's my job and my professional reputation within my company at Line too. So you almost, those kind of emotions play a big role too. And with long buying cycles, you want to be able to connect and engage and even touch on the human side. So that goes back to that point where, where do you start, right? They're like, oh, well, you know, we have TikTok now, we've got video, we've got short form, people don't pay attention. And to that, I say human behavior and human instincts and how we think hasn't really changed much since the time that we were Neanderthals, like roaming the planet. You know, there's still certain human instincts that have stayed the same. What's changed is sort of how we message or how we communicate with each other. We've got these different platforms, but they're so similar, right? Think about now, let's say if I want to kill time, I've got an extra 30 minutes, I'm going to pull up a social media um, and browse through it. So maybe I'm just going to scroll TikTok. But then if I think about when I was a kid, Saturday morning, I had all of that time to kill. 
I'd watch cartoons. I'd be like, I want to sit in front of the TV all day. And before that, before the time of TV, it was, hey, you know, turn on the radio. I want to be entertained. Mm. It's those kind of behaviors stay the same, just the medium changes, but the, the message is always and the behavior is constant. If you understand that, then you know how to connect to people and you're not worried about, oh, well, all of this is changing. Well, to succeed, you want to focus on what doesn't change, and that's human behavior. Um, so I'll give you an example on something like surprise, right? Surprise is an emotion. And so I first read about this in Claude Hopkins, like 1923 book uh, on advertising. And he had talked about surprise. So if you, what's that cereal, like puffed uh, wheat or puffed rice, like all of those grains, mm -hmm. um, they'd use it as like surprise and curiosity, like, oh, look, grains puffed with a gun and so on. And, and now we're just like Rice Krispies or like Wheat Krispies or whatever we eat every day for breakfast, take it for granted. But it was surprising when it came out and they used that element of surprise to make it popular. And now the key to that is understanding like why does surprise work? Because it amplifies other emotions more and it can be good or bad. So in a bad way, I think one of my favorite examples is when Netflix suddenly announced to everyone that we are just raising prices and there was collective outrage. I mean, if we look back now with the knowledge, we're like, it was like a dollar, it was a dollar or two. I mean, sure, no one likes paying more, but the collective outrage was just so much more because it came as a complete shock to us. Mm -hmm. So if you know that, okay, I want su a surprise can amplify emotions, then maybe why don't I amplify good emotions? Go to a dinner, surprise them with a free ice cream cone at the end of the dinner. You know, you have a loyal customer, you know what they like, you know they tend to like, surprise them with a sale right when you know it's about time to pre-order, right? Something, a little loyalty benefit here or there can help. Super cool. I love that. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for clarifying as far as the uh, the differences between like negative surprise and positive surprise. I haven't really thought about that uh, before of, you know, I think our surprise and delight is a pretty common expression, mm -hmm. but you can also do the negative way, uh, which also has, has issues. Um, I'd love to kind of, once again, switch gears again and love to hear your thoughts on AI and kind of the emergence of AI tools and, um, and what you're seeing. What do you, are you pessimistic? Are you optimistic? Where, where do you see the positives of it? Where do you see the negatives of it when it comes to content creation? Well, I'm really uh, optimistic. And I think what I've learned, what I've, I've been fortunate to have seen and learned so much about just AI and how it can empower humans, both from working at Microsoft for many years and right when living through like when Cortana was coming up and all the voice assistants and then chatbots and then seeing the power of like AI for good in in so many different ways. One, I think I'm really excited by it. You know, we're at an inflection point. Uh, the cool thing right now for people are like, you know, oh, it's not that great. I'm like, well, this is the worst it's ever going to be. It's just going to get better and better and better from here because the rate of change is so rapid and we're always learning new things that it can do. So the, in the good side, I think one, it just lowers the barriers to entry for people. Previously, people who may be small businesses or people maybe not uh, so proficient in the language that they are trying to create content in, maybe some people with different education levels or different backgrounds. 
they're now empowered to go out there and create content. Like what I loved was like one of my grandmoms was like, I'm putting on my recipes now on YouTube. I'm like, you're kidding. And I'm like, I never thought I would hear the words like my grandmom and YouTube in like the same <laughs> sentence apart from does grandma even know what YouTube is? But no, like, look at this. And it's passing down the legacy of her recipes that she learned from her grandmom. And it's so special to think about how it opens up things there. It also gives us incredible tools to come up with combinations that just defy what, you know, we could think. Like, we all know that a diverse team can lead to more, like, diversity in thought and better creative ideas. Now we have a power of AI, which, like, just, super powered, isn't it? Um, so the type of creativity that we can add in is going to be amazing. Of course, it's not going to be without its flaws. Like things always get worse before they get better. We had to live through the dot-com bubble bursting before it went, mm. you know, before we had the internet as we have it today. Some people are just, the people who are going to use it to just churn out like mediocre, crappy stuff in an, you know, in just this effort to fool algorithms, they're just putting out more clutter. They're just putting out more nonsense where people have to filter through and maybe short-term gains might exist, but I don't think they'll be there for a long time. At the end of the day, if you're just optimizing for machines over humans, it's not going to work. Like people relate to people. People, you know, talk to people. People learn from people. People buy from people. And so you want to make sure that you bring that very human eye to what you create and so AI, you can't just be like, oh, AI is like my new employee and I'll just have it do all this work. Work with it. Use it. Use AI to empower you to do more and be more. I love that. And I love that of just uh, versus it replacing something, at least now, it definitely, I think, uh, struggles to replace a lot of the activities that I do. But it can supplement and it can support the activities and enhance maybe the activities or or just help save some time, right? Um, and 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 ultimately, and um, super cool. You mentioned something um, uh, in in one of our previous uh, preps was in regards to uh, kind of approaching one idea from multiple angles, so you get more impact with less effort. Can you elaborate on that concept? Oh yeah, it's my like lazy person's favorite way to do about it but no I only joke it's not just for lazy people I always compare it to uh calling so let's say are you a Chanel or a Shein right if you buy something that's super fast fashion you're gonna wear it once and then you're gonna probably dispose of it but if you buy something that you invest a lot in then you're gonna want to get more use out of it so I'm like stop treating your content like fast fashion clothing that's just churned out with speed and cost in mind and not really like long term you can get much more value out of every piece of content, especially if you put in the work to tailor it to the right set of people. You've done all the work to understand your audience, understand their needs, build it out together. Why use it once and then forget about it? Keep talking about it. People may not, people may miss it. People may not be in the right frame of mind to absorb the message at the time. So do it. But then there's also another use that many content marketers either don't keep in mind or don't follow, which is tying back into sales. <clears throat> Ultimately, our job as content marketers is to sell, right? It's not just to educate or entertain. I mean, certainly we can educate and sell or entertain and sell, 
But at the end of the day, like we're there to sell. And so we need to study selling. <clears throat> and to do that, like something that I, a deep rabbit hole that I went down in research and stuff and many years ago, and I've actually put this in application for like the last like seven or eight years, has been making sure I'll take an idea and approach it from different angles to appeal to different buyer motivations or overcome different objections. Let's talk buyer motivations for a second. These two have stayed the same for time immemorial. So things like we buy something to gain something in the hopes of, or to avoid loss, or to stroke our ego, or, or just on impulse, right? For example, there's usually six core buying motivations. Let's take toothpaste as an example. I could be like, Taylor, you know, enjoy the confidence of like a bright, you know, shiny teeth and a confident smile with my toothpaste. So that's gain. Um, I could speak to fear uh, or, or like, you know, avoiding pain, which is, we all know that pain of cavities and root canals. No one wants that. This toothpaste is clinically proven to prevent that, right? Your same message, you're, you're just coming at it at a different angle or for impulse buys, right? You're at the checkout line or you're like, huh, maybe I'll try this new toothpaste. It's, come try our, you know, zingy new formula, new flavor that is extra tingly. Um, they'll do that. <laughs> or sometimes to stroke ego, it's like, Taylor, you make the right decisions for your dental health. Like, you know well, that's why you choose our toothpaste. You know, all of these things exist. So if you can take an idea, come at it sometimes from these different angles, then regardless of who your audience is or where they're at, you have a much higher chance of, of you know, matching intent and desire. So your content can be more effective. Um, but the other side of it, which is objections, those are so important. Like you could be talking to people until you're blue in the face, they're blue in the face about this is going to save you so much time. You've got this fancy new offering. It's fantastic. It's going to save you lots and lots of time. And you just go down the time savings act because you've heard maybe some people really are busy. But if you're an audience, <clears throat> their concern is not about <clears throat> the time. They're more concerned about either the price or whether the credibility of your product, then it won't matter how much time it's saved. They're like, well, we still either don't, you know, we can't see the value in budgeting that much for you, or we can't see the value in you, who you are as a product. Like maybe we'd rather get your competitor instead. So you want to try to approach. And the root of most objections really comes down to four things. It's not that hard. It's either do they see the value in you? Do they see, you know, is it easier? Do they, can they make time for the prioritization? Do they have credibility? Uh, do they trust you or are they even the person who has the right influence to make the decision? And sometimes that could just be the objection where they just don't have the influence to carry on the conversation. So you're spending time backing up the wrong tree. Super interesting. Um, do you go through those six motivations and those four buyer objections in your book? I do. So I have a whole chapter dedicated to how you okay. can, <clears throat> five different ways that you can approach. And so, yeah, different angles is just one of them. So yeah, it's in the book. It's chapter 12. Very cool. Awesome. I'm excited to read that and dive deeper into that. Cause I love that, that balance between like their motivations uh, versus making sure you handle objections, um, especially in B2B where like marketing, you know, um, I feel like, uh, I, actually, I just saw a stat. I think Forrester came out with a stat of, I think it's 90 or at 80, 85% of the buyer's journey happens before 
uh, somebody who talks to a salesperson. Yeah. So how much, you know, how much is our content actually helping with those objections? Not only just, you know, getting people interested, but actually taking them down that journey because once they get to sales, they've probably made up their mind or made up a lot of their mind. Um, any thoughts there as far as how content can help with that buyer's journey and and then ultimately accelerate it? Oh, 100%, because it's exactly right. As you said, we hear this all the time. And it's not just Forrester, like Google's research, like so many people's research have shown that more and more like who wants to talk on the phone anymore unless they have to, right? Like we avoid <laughs> phone calls now. So I'm like, I don't want to listen to just the whole pitch. Like I'd rather learn and see online. So your content has to do the job of your best salesperson. And so you've got to study your salespeople and work closely with your salespeople mm -hmm. so you can really understand the different questions that they have, the different concerns that they have throughout their buyer's journey, which very often in B2B is six to nine months long on average minimum sometimes like several years. So a key thing to keep in mind, I love this. This is from Eugene Schwartz's book, Breakthrough Advertising. It came out in 1966. And in his book, he talks about the five stages of awareness, right? So often we get hung up on like the funnel and top funnel and middle funnel and all that. But I almost find it more effective as a content marketer to think about it as a levels of awareness. Like what do they need to know at each stage and how would I interest them at each stage, right? Let's say you can come out with the best case study and be like, look at the, as part of your GTM, like so many often you're gonna have case studies as well that go with that, right? You could be going and showing a case study to a prospective customer, but they may not even realize they have an issue to begin with. So they may be completely unaware that they're, hey, that there is a problem or that there's a way that they can make their life better. So at this point, you almost have to tell them, it's like, hey, here's really why you need to care about this. Um, then you go into like, maybe they're aware they have a problem, but they have no idea that there's a solution or what solution there can be. Then you go down the next level of awareness, which is solution aware. So maybe they know they have a problem. They know they need to solve it. They know that different solutions exist. So here's really where a lot of your product marketing can come in. Then they, then you, the next level is product aware. So maybe at solution aware, they know that a solution exists. They may not know that you exist uh, as a solution to them, your company. Um, but then you go into product aware, but maybe they're now deciding between three or four different products. So your social proof, your trust metrics, all of that's important. And then at the end, you have like your most aware, they're ready to make their decision. So if you try to think about that, those five levels of awareness, you want to try to create content that actually speaks to these different ones. So they've got different um, ways to think about it. Um, or you're meeting different people where they're at and you're, giving them the information that they need rather than very often if you are trying to go with the product level you're like talking about all the shiny whiz bangs and the ding dings and then all the stats that you're like i am not even ready to hear about this yet because i don't care uh, so you try to think about what interests them there too so yeah i really love like think like a salesperson or work with your sales teams to get you these ideas and that's just going to make your content 10 times more effective Plus, as a marketer, you'll give yourself a bigger seat at the table within your organization. Oh, Bruno, I think that's a great, great idea to end on, um, especially from a marketer standpoint, not only leveraging the salespeople they've 
they've come across everything, right? They figured out exactly what to say and how to position things, how to take people on a journey, the best ones, right? And so tapping into that brain, tapping into that experience and, and almost just, you know, using all of that perspective and using that into your content, love that. And then also love your idea and definitely going to look into that more in regards to those awareness stages and think about it in that because it really is um, even so much like we talk, talk about sales cycles and it's like um, so much of the sales cycle, we're so focused on that, especially in the B2B world of like, what's your sales cycle and how do we reduce that? When in all reality, um, the what I almost think about it is like the marketing cycle, right? Or maybe even the, the awareness cycle, right? There's this, mm-hmm. well, it's way longer, it's way more complex than this little point in time of them talking to your sales team or them doing a demo or doing a trial. And uh, so I love that. It's definitely more encompassing of really what's going on in people's uh, buyer behaviors and, and whatnot. So thanks so much for coming on. This has been super interesting. How can folks uh, find your book? No, thank you for having me on, Taylor. This was so much fun. I feel like I could chat all day. Um, so my book's available on Amazon worldwide, Barnes & Noble, or you can get it on Kogan Page, my publisher's website. And um, they currently have a discount code as well, which I can share with you, Taylor, that we can put out as well. Awesome. We'll definitely put that in the, in the links um, below the show. Thanks again, Pruna, for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you.